Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Elisa Flynn, a musician hailing from Brooklyn, New York. With her latest album out called The World Has Ever Been on Fire, Elisa chats with Matt about her time on tour as a solo artist and the band she met along the way. She discusses the video shoot for the music video of the album's first single, Before He Went Down, along with the album's second single, Sugar. They cover her writing process and how she puts together an album, and they also share some lamentations over the dwindling music scene in New York compared to some of its neighbors, such as DC. And so, from the Tripeg Lobo singer-songwriter show she produced at the Waystation to other topics, here's presenting Matt Storm and Elisa Flynn. And welcome to another episode of Autographs. My guest this week is the one and only Elisa Flynn. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Um, I've known you for quite a while through my wife, mm-hmm. um, the legendary host of Tripeg Lobo at the Waystation. <laughs> um, and you're just back from tour, aren't you? You went on a little mini tour recently. Yeah. Um, I went, first I went down to D.C. just for a couple days and then came back and then I went out to the West Coast. I did... Uh, Seattle, Salem, Portland, and Oakland. And so how long was it all told? Uh, it was just like a week and a half. Week and a half. Yeah. And uh, travel by car, by plane? No, I t- yeah, I traveled by plane. It was the public uh, transportation tour. So I took a plane to Seattle. I took a train down to Salem. I took a bus up to Portland. <laughs> I took oh, another plane wow. to San Francisco. And I learned a lot about what to carry on tour if you're going by public transport. And I'm sure. it is like almost nothing. I imagine. I was like... Dying. I had so much stuff. I tried to pack. I usually carry a teeny, teeny suitcase when I travel, like, normally, mm-hmm. but I had sort of a bigger one with my merch and my clothes, and then I had this big, giant, heavy, fancy guitar case so I could bring it on the plane, <laughs> I had a purse, and I was, I think I had about 60 pounds worth of stuff, and I was Jeez. constantly struggling, and just, I was like a, just a joke in the airport. I kept walking, like, 10 feet and stopping and going, Argh! <laughs> And were you touring solo? You didn't have anybody with you? I was touring solo, yeah. Oh, wow. That must be pretty intense to go on that kind of an adventure. Uh, It was fun. Yeah, Um, I'm sure. I've done a lot of traveling. Um, I used to work for a big museum, and I traveled a lot by myself all over uh, the United States and a lot in Europe. And so I got used to picking myself up and going alone. So Mm -hmm. that was not the problem. It was just the amount of Of stuff. I was caring. And so you were touring for your new album, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, um, remind me what the name of it is again? It's The World Has Ever Been on Fire. The World Has Ever Been on Fire. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, Before He Went Down is the single in the music video. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, I want to say, as someone who's been hearing you do songs that are kind of all over the map for years, just to try Peg Lobo, and like mm-hmm. you're such a versatile songwriter, to hear this album kind of go from folk to punk to rock and roll and kind of back again, I really liked. Because okay. I initially expected a folk record, just because that's what I had heard you play the most at the way station. Uh-huh. You know, a person and a guitar, singer-songwriter stuff. And so that's what I expected. But there was a lot more fast and heavy stuff on this record than I expected, which is really cool. Um, was that always the kind of goal to record a record that's kind of very versatile like that, or did it just kind of develop that way? Um, it kind of just developed that way. I mean, I came out of much louder music. I started sure. off in like punk bands and 
noise bands and at one point my hearing started to really suffer like I have tinnitus I can actually hear it right now you know oh, I have man. like constant ringing in my ears um, so from playing uh, I was in one band for six years and we played in a garage um, in a small room like a blocked off room like the room we're in now oh, um, no. and I stood next to the drummer for six years so oh, this geez. ear that was facing the drummer permanently rings because just... she's pointing to her left ear for, for those in the audio world um, um, yeah, so after doing that for many years, um, and then a couple other bands, I got to the point where I just didn't want to play that loud anymore, mm-hmm. and I was writing quieter songs, and so I started doing quieter stuff. But that stuff is always, that's my background, mm-hmm. and that's, that's like my beginning music is punk rock, so, you know, I, I mix that into what I'm doing now. It's just, I think I translated it better this time. And so you've had other releases before, and mm-hmm. this. So how long did this one? This came out in November, right? Right. And so how long was the writing process for this record? Was it just something that you were kind of constantly working on, or did you have like a, a set goal and release and like a plan for this record? Um, so these are songs from the last couple of years, um, and I had a bunch to choose from, and I, I kind of picked the group I liked the best that I thought went together the best. Um, and I worked on, the actual recording um, was done in just a few weeks, really, mm-hmm. in summer of 2016. I went to an artist residency called CAMP, and CAMP is Collaborative Artist Mobility Project, and they travel, so from year to year, they travel to different locations. So two years ago, they were um, in Hot Springs, uh, Arkansas. No. Hot Springs, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and basically we were an hour outside of Asheville, but we were up in the mountains. We were not near anything. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't do anything. And I knew I was going to this residency, and I said, my goal this year is to, I'm going to record my album or most of it. Yeah. And so there were all kinds of artists there, and we did a lot of collaborative projects in the morning, but then in the afternoon, it was your own free time. So every afternoon for the nine days we were up there, I there was a music studio, and I was the only working musician in the group of people, of 20 people. Um, And so I would lock myself in this big, gorgeous music studio, which was a big spiral. And um, I recorded, I think, six six or seven of the songs there. And then when I came back home, I did the last few. Um, But I just did, I multi-tracked, I did everything, I programmed, I used some Apple loops and rearranged them and just put everything together. So you have to say you produced your own record? Well, sort of. So I did all all the basic tracks. Like I came back to yeah. Brooklyn, I did more recording. So all the basic tracks were done. And then um, uh, a, well, someone I was dating, who I'm no longer dating, but this person <laughs> who is known as Arts and Rolls, he said, um, send me a song and let me, let me mix it, master it for you and see how it sounds. Because he is an electronic musician mm-hmm. and coming at stuff a whole different way. So um, he did the one song and then he said, I'll just do the whole thing. So he actually oh, cool. did the whole thing for me. It took a really long time. Uh, so I recorded it in the summer of 2016, and it wasn't done until July of But it was done, and I really liked the way it was done. He tried to do it more like electronic music in that there's a lot of big dynamics, mm-hmm. loud to soft, um, yeah. things coming in and out, and I really like that approach, and I want to use that approach in the future again. Well, yeah, I noticed listening to the record that even the softer songs... Or the songs that don't have as much drum and guitar, 
your voice has a punch that mm-hmm. I'm not used to hearing in a lot of folk or lighter music, mm-hmm. which I like because mm-hmm. it, it it gives it gives an instrumentation to your voice that not a lot of folk singers have. Right. You know, like I'm always I'm always quick to compare a lot of folk music to like the Decemberists just because they're like the pop version mm-hmm. of folk music, and they do have plenty of folk music, but they kind of take it from a pop standpoint, and so like. Their their band the thing that I've always noticed is that they kind of blend with the music. Sometimes the voice vocals have a punch, but for the most part, in that pop way, it kind of just all blends together. What I like about your record is that there's some dissonance between the instruments in a way that gives a lot of impact to mm-hmm. the instrumentation, which I like. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that probably comes from that electronica background mm-hmm. and knowing how to kind of separate the instrumentation and then mix it together in a certain way. Right, right. Um, so you have a music video for for the single off the record. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the recording process for that like? Was it easy, hard, long, short? Um, it was pretty easy. Um, I came up with the idea, the basic idea for I did a little storyboard and took it to my friend Chris Carlone, um, who I've been doing video and photo stuff with for 10 years now. Chris oh, wow. and I met on MySpace. <laughs> Back when that was the thing. We're, we that's dating so, us a little bit. Yeah, we, thought, we always think it's so funny. It's like, we're MySpace friends. <laughs> that's from 10 years ago. Um, but we've done lots of projects together, and we just continue to work together. So I showed him my storyboard, and we talked about it, and we uh, came up with a few other ideas. And one of his main ideas was, you always wear black. I don't want you wearing black. It's going to be bright and colorful. And I said, okay. Um, so we, um, I asked a few friends to participate to be my dancers in the video mm-hmm. but we didn't have anything really choreographed it was right um and we uh went out on it was on may day of this year mm-hmm. and it was a gorgeous day and we recorded the whole video in basically one afternoon nice um, and how long from recording to release uh we recorded may day and we released it on in september i think it was september 15th oh, so not that long yeah yeah i mean it was done but for this my whole uh thing for this album is i actually i now have a pr company that represents me so yeah um which is beyond fantastic and um they determine when things come out so i had all this stuff uh, but they tell you okay you can you must hold on to this for this many months and whatnot so they needed a full three months to sell the album to pre-sell it Uh, and now it's out but they're still selling it so mm, there's all this lead up time and stuff so we had to keep holding things so that's why the album came out in november right even though it was ready in july you said yeah awesome um and so we talked a little bit earlier about tripeg globo which is where i met you where my wife sarah used to perform when she had time for music which Mm -hmm. is kind of falling behind a little bit but um you encouraged her to write a lot of great music. You know, you're a very good supporter of the arts, especially in Brooklyn and in New York. Um, how did Tripeg Lobo come to be? Because I've been a Way Station patron since the bar pretty much opened. Mm-hmm. And I just remembered I wasn't going to Tripeg Lobo, and then I was. Uh-huh. So how did that show come to be? Um, I had, let me see, what did I, I had been doing a lot of solo shows by that point. So this mm-hmm. was five years ago, tw- uh, 2012. And I've been playing a lot of solo shows in New York as a solo artist. I had ended my last band and was just finding it. I was getting more and more annoyed playing all these solo shows and begging people to come out. And, oh, you know, and it just gets to be so dull. And I said, why don't I do something different? And I had this idea. It didn't really become the original idea. But the original idea was to sort of make a Grand Ole Opry kind of show Mm -hmm. or a you know, a Prairie Home Companion type thing. Um, 
on a smaller scale. Um, and what I, the very first show that I did was, um, I based it on Harry Smith's, um, Anthology of American Folk Art mm-hmm. uh, or Folk Music. Anthology of American Folk Music. You know what that is. It's yeah. Like, there are several several volumes of it and this crazy musicologist, uh, for people who don't know, uh, Harry Smith, um, collected thousands and thousands of records. He'd go around buying records all over the place, things that had long been out of print. And then he took uh, a group of his favorite songs and put them out Um and so it's like a it's a big deal that compilation it's like a big touchstone for folk music right. uh, especially in the early 60s a lot of people listened to that and they were like wow folk music they had never heard this kind of music all these things from the 20s and things that had been recorded in people's like you know yards with one microphone and stuff um so uh the early the late 50s early 60s folk boom started one of the big reasons was that album. Um, so it's always been a big deal. And I said, oh, let's have people play songs off this album. So I started asking people I knew who went to the way station. I had Anders, uh, who is the owner of the way station, right. ask people. And I got a group of people together and we did the first show. And it was a huge success and everybody loved it. And I, I thought, well, what am I going to do next? <laughs> right. Um, so then I said, well, I'll just start coming up. I'll come up with a theme. And I came up with a theme. And then every show thereafter, it was quarterly for a long time, um, was I would just come up with another theme right before the next show and tell everybody, okay, next show's theme is this. So we did, uh, we did um, found photographs where I told people to go out and buy that photographs. That was the first show I'd ever thrift been stores. to. Yeah, I was like, find a photograph and write a song about it. Um, and I'd always have people do one cover song about the theme and then one song that they wrote. Which is what I always thought was brilliant is that you encourage people to write by saying you can do a cover but also do an original. Mm-hmm. You know, and some and you and you weren't like uh, you know you don't rule with an iron fist. If right. someone just came with a cover, you're oh, like sure. Oh. Or if someone just came with an original, you're like sure. But the goal was to have one of each, which I always thought was really great. Yeah, I yeah, and it did make the process easier because you had this impetus to learn something and then write. Um, so there's the photograph show. There was. Uh, a couple shows about movies. Um, there was one about war. Um, there were uh, ones about love songs and songs about musicians and summertime and just like every, all, yeah. all kinds of ideas. Um, and then this last year I did only two shows. Uh, there were songs about revolution and revolt because of course we yeah. all want to revolt. And then uh, the last show was fairy tales. And at this point, I'm not sure what 2018 will bring if I'm going to do any more at this because I'm trying to get super serious about the solo stuff again mm-hmm. um, and not be the impresario. But a lot <laughs> of people played those shows and uh, it was I'm, it was very fun. I mean, I'm very proud of, of all the stuff we did and I use a lot of those songs on this album and mm-hmm. I play a lot of them to this day. Well, it's like, it's, the fun thing about that show also is you kind of let it be whatever it wanted to be. Like, I remember for one of the themes I did, uh, I just, I did a speaking piece for, uh-huh. um, I think about the first, al- oh, it was what, the first song or album you the ever got. The first album you ever got, yeah, and that so was a for good my, one. <laughs> And so for me, I read a story about Space Jam because uh-huh. that was the first CD I ever bought right. back when CDs were still new. Mm-hmm. And it's just such an odd CD to be your first, but when talking about my music dynamics and that I listened to everything, that album really informed that because it had hip-hop, rock and roll, you know, R&B, mm-hmm. pop, and all of that stuff. And so that was really fun to do. And I wasn't a big, like now I host shows and I DJ and I do all this stuff, but back then I wasn't really a stage person. Like I had really bad stage fright. And so that was really fun 
Um, and I've since done some other storytelling as well. And so that was really cool that you kind of let people, like, the goal was songwriting, singer-songwriter stuff. But if people came up with other stuff they want to do, a poem or read a play or, you know, whatever, you were all for it. Which I thought was really cool right. as well to allow people to express themselves that way. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to be, I always was telling people when they... Some people would say, oh, I've never done this before. I'd be like, ah, it's all right. It doesn't matter. It's okay. Just do yeah, it. Just I do wanted it. it to be a total safe space. And there were people who that was their first show ever. Yeah. Um, or it was the first time they did a particular thing. And yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I think there should be more of that. You know, yeah. I, I also, another thing I wanted to do was I'm so sick of everybody being like thinking that they're so cool and professional. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> who are we kidding? You know? Yeah. And that's not how you make artists and art. You know, yeah. you, you have to bring... There are Everybody imperfections yes. in art and yeah. artistry. Um, so um, you you did a mini tour and you have the new album mm -hmm. out now. Do you have a plan for another tour next year since we're coming to the end of 2017? Um, yes, I would like to do another tour probably in April. Um, as I'm saying this here in the middle of December with right. no, no shows booked yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's so hard during the holidays to like of organize to get the stuff together. But yeah, I do want to do more. Um, I probably will go back out um, to the West again. Um, it w I had not, I'd played in San Francisco. I used to live out there and I'd played there, but nowhere else on the West coast. So I also want to do LA and other places. And, um, it was really receptive playing out there. Also DC was very receptive, but I've played there before. Um, mm -hmm. there's so many places I want to play. It's just, sure. um, between, you know, working and trying to make money and yeah. then being like, hey, I gotta go <laughs> for sure. two weeks. Is that okay? Yeah, and like leaving. I'm gone. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to balance that in in life, and it's not not so easy, especially in New York City with for sure high rents and everything else. So um, when you were playing on the tour, did you um, when you were booking these shows, were you always did you always know you were playing with other bands? Did you not? Were you did you enjoy opening or closing for other bands? And what was that like, that experience, meeting these bands for the first time even? Mm -hmm. um, I, I've played so many shows where I've met bands for the first time. Yeah. Um, this tour was, I just, I winged it. You know, yeah. I, I knew when the album was going to come out and I was like, I don't want to just play here. I want to go somewhere I've never played. So I was just looking online and I found a cheap ticket, a cheap three-way ticket Seattle and San Francisco and back and I was like I'm just gonna buy this ticket and I just bought it and then I told my PR guy and he's like well you don't have any shows booked and I said that's okay I'll just book some and then it took it was a lot of effort to just book the handful of shows I had um and so the Seattle show uh was with uh this musician Ben Wildenhouse who I had met who used to live in Brooklyn who was a friend of a friend mm -hmm. so got that show together um then in Portland, I wound up playing with friends of friends of friends who connected me to them uh, via Facebook. It was just like, oh, we can't play the show, but why don't you call these guys? Oh, uh, we can't play the show, so why don't you call <laughs> these guys? And, you know, through that, I wound up with the Portland show, and I met some incredible people at that show. Awesome. Um, a couple of really good bands, um, Avalanche Lily and Denim Wedding, and they were fantastic and super friendly and... Um, yeah, people out west are more friendly. <laughs> I've, I've come to learn that. I've heard that a lot too. Yeah, um, people were like sitting there writing me lists. Here, here's a list of all the bands you should check out in this area, and you know you should you should contact these guys <laughs> next time you come back. Oh, and here's one of the other clubs you should try. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> here, you never. No one ever says that to you. Here. No, you go do a show, hope people show up, right. and then everyone clears out as soon as the show is over. 
Exactly. That's the thing that always drove me nuts about the way station. It's sometimes better depending on the bands that are playing, but mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, my wife Sarah's in the Wasties and they still play, you know, uh, four or five times a year. You know, uh-huh. they cut it back a little bit, but like so many times when a band comes on before them, mm-hmm. all their friends come, see that band, that band finishes, everybody clears out the band yeah. and everyone else. It doesn't always happen, but like you want people to stick around and, and listen to music. It's why I've stopped going to random shows in the city as much. I'll go see performers that I know, but mm-hmm. like to just go pick a random night to go see music is less fun because. I feel like no one's there for the experience of music. People are there to just support their friend, which is great. Mm-hmm. But, like, I miss the days of, like, the the late 90s and early 2000s where it was just, like, you go to a show in the basement of a club and hang out for four hours listening to God knows what kind of music. Right. And I just don't feel like there's really a space for that anymore. The Waystation still tries, uh-huh. and they have live music, but it's definitely not as much as they used to. And a lot of other venues don't even have live music any, at all anymore. Mm. You know, and I feel like it's also because you can't... Um, you know, it's it it music almost feels like an inconvenience now to mm-hmm. a bar goer, and I don't I miss I miss when you would just go hang out, have a couple of drinks, and listen to a band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think it's very much that way here. It, I think it's there's no scene here at all. There is not no anymore. Scene. Yeah, there used to be. <clears throat> there used to be, and I mean maybe there are little micro scenes. I mean I know a few groups of bands in Brooklyn who mm-hmm. like you know they sort of like stick together and um, play shows, but it's very much that way and. Yeah. The other shows I played um, when I went to D.C., when I went out west, people were there for the night. You know? yeah. And if someone really didn't want to hear you, they'd sort of wander off to the bar. But it wasn't like this exodus of the entire audience leaving. Yeah. It was just sort of like people would sort of shuffle around the room throughout the night, um, which is kind of what you want, which is yeah. fine. You, know? you want people to sort of stick around. And yeah, here it's not like that at all anymore. But I just, it, I, I, I don't know when that change happened, but mm-hmm. I just know that it has because right. I remember when I even used to do that. I mean, when the Wasties used to play more frequently and they would play like the Sidewalk Cafe mm-hmm. and these other spots that were the usual places for smaller bands to play, mm-hmm. like it would be two or three other bands that I would know. Like, I mean, Painless Parker moved to, to Philly and he mm-hmm. still plays once in a while, but it's like all of these, I think also a lot of those bands have left the city. Like yeah. a lot of them realize there's no scene here and they're going to Nashville or wherever else where there's a DC where there's these music scenes that the kind of, there's a community for it. Mm-hmm. And it's a bummer. You know, yeah. I, I'm, I, I don't really go out to see live music anymore or not nearly as much as I used to unless I'm going to support someone else. And then I stay for the night because I want to continue to perpetuate that thing that I grew up with. Right, yeah. When I was in DC, a couple, like whenever it was a few weeks ago, um, I went to an amazing house show. We were in Ar- Arlington. Um, unbelievable. Like, I didn't know any of these bands. They were fantastic. And uh, the, my friends that I went with, they knew one of the bands, but everybody stuck, stuck around. And yeah. they said, they said, do you see this? This is what it's like here every week. There That's are amazing. all these shows and everybody goes, you know, and it's like, it's a big roving scene and people are so supportive. And I was like, oh God. Yeah. So I mean, one of the things for 2018, I'm thinking is I may, I may be leaving Brooklyn at some point because just you know between the, the support issue, the money issue. You know, yeah, of course. I may I be mean, one of those sense. people that finally just you know I've been here a long time, but I finally just drop off the end because it's just, it's so hard. It's well, yeah. So hard. Like I'm very lucky in the fact that my DJing has been born out of just helping volunteer at burlesque shows and then mm. running sound at burlesque shows and then it became its own thing but like the burlesque community is pretty big here but even that's starting to splinter and fracture mm. a little and it's like 
I just feel like any artistic scene, unless there's constant uh, repair, understanding, and shift and change, it's just going to start to fall apart. And it's kind of, you know, New York was always the place. If you wanted to be an actor or a musician, you mm -hmm. went to New York. Right. I, I mean, for acting, I think that's still the case for the most part. There's a ton of stuff that films here, but for music, I feel like that's less so. Mm -hmm. I think that has to do a lot with technology, too. Like, I don't pay attention to anything on my train ride anymore. I'm listening to a podcast on my phone or music on my phone. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I think there's less of that kind of live experience. Like, I used to hang out in the subway all the time and listen to the bands that played there because they were always great. Mm -hmm. And they're still playing, but I just I don't really stop anymore. I'm going to the next place. I'm doing the next thing. Yeah. I got my head down. And, <laughs> and I miss that kind of interactive experience that this city was. That mm -hmm. I guess it can still be, but, like... Like, as a long time, you know, I've lived here my whole life, I hate Times Square. Mm -hmm. You know, the village is only sort of tolerable still. Like, right. there are these areas of Manhattan that I used to live for mm -hmm. that now I barely want to go to. Yeah, yeah, I, me too. And it's because it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many people here and there's so much stuff. You know, the only thing I think that's still somewhat, thri well, definitely thriving and that I enjoy doing is going to see theater in the city. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, but it's also because I'm not a theater nerd. Like, I like going to see plays and musicals, but I don't know enough about it to go, oh, well, I don't want to go see any of this stuff. I'll just mm -hmm. go to whatever. And if I don't like it, I don't like it, you know. And I think right. with music, I'm also knowledgeable enough to go, oh, well, it's country, you know, and I'll get into my own head and go, well, I don't think I want to go to that thing. Mm -hmm. and, Instead of being more open because we're so kind of insular these days. Right, yeah. I feel like the most interesting music right now that's going on in Brooklyn is there's a few, like, uh, experimental spaces mm -hmm. where the stuff is amazing. Like National Sawdust and Roulette and um, uh, I've seen, there's, what is the other, there's a Blank Forms. It's not a place, but it's a booking sort of collective and they book a lot of weird soundscape noise stuff. And that, to me, has been the most interesting stuff to see in the last couple years. Whereas, like, the rock kind of stuff is just, like, it, it blah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of rock and roll now is either popified where it's, you know, it's got to sell records uh -huh. or, you know, the really good stuff's a lot harder to find. Like, I'd been very into indie hip-hop for a long time. Uh -huh. And I still am. But I feel like even that scene, like, well, pop, popular culture hip-hop has gone kind of down this rabbit hole of, like, forgetting its roots and kind of just being very boring and very mm -hmm. samey and so like whenever I hear anybody who's incorporating other genres or other themes or, or quotes from fiction or whatever like I get really into it mm -hmm. and I think the pro I've always said with the internet culture music has never been better but it's also never been worse because yep. there's just so much more of it mm -hmm. and also there's so much media now it's like it's impossible to consume everything trying to follow just the new releases through Spotify and what they post, or even the new releases on Bandcamp, it is impossible to listen to everything. Oh, yeah. It's totally impossible. And that's a bummer for me, because I remember, you know, and I'm sure it was also impossible back then, but when you were kind of, when everything wasn't available, you would buy the three pop records that came out that week, mm -hmm. listen to them, and then move on to the next thing. Right. Whereas now it's like hundreds of stuff coming out every week, every month or whatever, and it's impossible to keep up with. Mm -hmm. Do you find as a musician who's writing and creating that it's overwhelming as well to try and kind of just bring in all of the things that you're hearing around yourself? Um, oh, yeah. It's super hard. Um, I'm having this thing. I just Today I just bought a new phone. I don't have it yet, but uh, I just ordered a new phone, and it's not, I have an, app, an iPhone right now, and mm. I did not get an iPhone. And I was like, the great trauma was what's going to happen to all the music that I've, you know, all the music I have on, on my, uh, 
not my iTunes, but all music on my phone. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like all this stuff. I was getting all the updates. Yeah. Apple Music is kind of great for that. Yeah. Um, it's not great for the artists because they don't make money off mm. it or you make very little. But as a source of, you know, seeing new music, I've been like trying to look at it as much as possible and they make lists and stuff. And it's, I've learned a lot of, I've gotten a lot from that. Um, I was very against uh, downloading music for the longest sure. time. I was so behind the curve. And now I realize, I mean, then I realized, well, that's ridiculous. Um, so I feel like I'm trans- trying to constantly listen. And um, if I like something, I'll always listen to, you know, if you like this, you might like this. Right, and I sure. start looking for these other bands and then I find things that are amazing. And then I realize, oh, this is some band that lives in Ohio somewhere. Like, they're nobody, but they're amazing. Right, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I hope that someone sees me, you know, and I go, oh, this person is no one, but they're amazing. Um, and that's the great part of it, the, of yeah. the glut. Um, but it is really hard. And I noticed, too... Um, so I have to keep up social media presence, obviously, as sure. every musician does. So I have Facebook, I have Twitter, I have Instagram and all this stuff. And I'm finding myself going through things faster and faster and faster. And just yeah. like, if I don't see an image that catches my eye, or if I put on a song and it doesn't catch my ear in a few seconds. And I was thinking that today, I was listening to something, this is terrible. I can't believe this has happened. But it's, there's just so much. And if you don't you like You have to take it in like, for 30 click, seconds. Yeah. Click. <laughs> Well, it's like I've been I've been playing video games since I was a little kid, mm-hmm. and like you know when you had a Nintendo and Super Mario Brothers, like you could blow through the whole game in an hour, mm-hmm. but it was hard enough that you tried over and over again. Mm-hmm. Whereas now games with a really great narrative and a great writing team behind it could be forty hours, mm-hmm. and it's like who like you know I play those games so slowly. Like it used to be a point where I would buy new games all the time, and now I'm buying a game a month every two months, and even then. I maybe finish half of them because it's just who has time for all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then don't even get me started on games that are online that are ongoing and constantly updating and changing. It's right. like who has time to keep up with that? Mm-hmm. And I feel the same thing happening with music too where it's like I want to be on top of everything and hear every new album and keep up with every artist I like. But, you know, I'm kind of living a notification lifestyle now like you do with social media where mm-hmm. you just hope that you get that email or that that Facebook message or something about the new thing that's out so you go check it out. Right. Or you see someone post about it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're... Uh, so you're talking about having a social media presence and how the stuff around you affects your, your writing. Um, do you find yourself more inspired by life events, like real life events of your own or the world around you? Or are you more inspired by fictions, like books you read, movies you see? Um, it's sort of an even split. Okay. It's kind of an even split. Um, so I write, I do write a lot of songs about movies, actually, um, and about things I've read. Um, as I read, I will, I, I keep a notebook, I keep multiple notebooks. And so I'm always like, if I really love a couple lines from a book, I'll write them down. And then I'll incorporate maybe the idea from those lines or the idea of that story um, <clears throat> into something I write. Um, I have on the new album, there is a song about the Royal Tenenbaums. Yes, which <laughs> I love. So good. And it's so funny because I have met so many people that tell me how much, A, they hate that movie or how much they hate Wes Anderson movies. And I'm like, why? I love it. Why? Those how movies. can you not? They're great. They're totally great. And, you know, in a world of 
unpredictability and horrific violence, I want to see a ridiculous mannered movie about like the crazy romance or, you know, yeah. I, that kind of stuff so appeals to me. So, well, I think it's also <laughs> like with those movies, you they're kind of the kind of movies you either get or you don't. Right. Like you're either in it for the characters and the story mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the nuance or you're not, mm-hmm. you know, like I love action movies, comic movies and all that stuff. Right. But I love the Wes Anderson movies because... The humor is so dry Yeah. that, you know, I love that kind of dry humor and British wit and that kind of stuff. And so, like, all that speaks to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the acting is so... It, all those movies, the acting is very mannered and almost wooden for everybody. It's so subdued. And I love it. I totally love it. Yeah, so. like, to see that movie, to have um, Owen Wilson in it and Luke Wilson in it, and both of them are fairly low-key. Like, mm-hmm. they're never low-key in anything. Right. And then to see them playing these brothers that are so, like... Just kind of calm and collected, mm-hmm. and you know, it's just it was it's it's always very fun to see that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're writing, do you kind of come up with the instrumentation first and then put the lyrics to it, or vice versa, or does it depend on the song? Um, it depends on the song. Um, I'm always writing, or I usually I'm always writing. <laughs> um, I go through periods where I don't write very much, which is current. But um, sometimes I'm, I'm often I'm always writing stuff. And so I'll go back through notebooks and find things that look like they're usable or like there's a consistent idea that I want to develop or maybe the whole idea is developed. Um, And as far as writing music, um, I spend a lot of time noodling. I sit around and I just noodle, noodle, noodle. And when I write something that I like, I write it down and then the things will come together. I don't very often write lyrics for a specific piece of music. Mm. Um, sometimes I write music for specific lyrics. Um, and it's, my writing style is very, um, it's very loose. I don't write, I don't use music theory or any of that kind of stuff. I just, like I said, I just kind of play and play and play and I write down any any riff that I like, I write it down. And then I will I come back to things and go through them and start matching stuff together. That's how I write. It's kind of like the I pull you stuff pull from stuff the sky there, yeah. and and it has worked for me all this time. So I just keep doing it. Um, Do you have any notebooks of unused stuff and you know stuff that you've written that you haven't used yet? Oh that yeah, just kind of sits. Yeah, I mean every every notebook. I mean I will I'll fill a book. And then move on to the next one, and but I will go back because there'll be stuff in the books that are just not used, not right. good, not finished. I'll write entire songs and then be like, "Ugh, that's a horrible <laughs> song. I'm never gonna use that." And some some things just die. Um, Have you ever gone back to something that you thought wouldn't work and then like kind of repurposed it? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the songs, uh, uh, the Prison Ship Martyrs Mo- Monument song. That is a song that I wrote years ago, and I it has I have put it away so many times, and I kept bringing it back, and I was like, wait, no, I do like this song, <laughs> and I wrote that song when I was having writer's block, and I was sitting in Fort Green Park, looking at the Prison Ship Martyrs Monument because that so that that's <laughs> that what you wrote about <laughs> exactly that's how that song came about, and I was I at one point I completely changed the lyrics, and then I changed them all back. So that does happen sometimes. But it's it's cool to see uh, from a writing perspective 
this idea that it can be completely fluid, that nothing really has to be set in stone and mm-hmm. that you can kind of um, change it around. Do you have fun with that when you're playing live too and kind of change things up a little bit, maybe mess with the instrumentation a little bit or change some of the riffs around a little or mm-hmm. extend some of them? Um, when I'm playing live, not too much because it's just me. Um, right. So I'm pretty, when I play live, I'm pretty set. I mean, there are things sometimes that get extended a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um but it's harder for me as a solo person. I find it harder to improvise live because I'm carrying the whole thing. I'm just right. like, I'm holding up the whole thing, and I gotta I gotta be entertaining. So I've gotta I gotta play this song the right way. So uh, if I was playing with other people, I think I, I used to be in bands that did a lot more improvisational stuff, which is probably why I still like improvisational music. Um, but as a solo artist, I for me I find I can't really do that. Um, and when we just now we're when you were talking about um, things being fluid, I was thinking of something I read Lou Reed said once about, you know, when you do a recording, that's how the song went that day. Yeah. Because people would say, he'd play things totally different. People would be like, oh, why did you do that? He goes, well, you know, when I recorded it, that was that day. Yeah, and this is now, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, and I always like that, that this idea that music is constantly changing and evolving. It Mm. doesn't have to stay the same, especially since considering artists, like, their voices change, their skills change, Mm -hmm. they either get better or get worse. You know, whatever it is, you Mm -hmm. have to constantly let the music evolve (laughs) with you. Mm -hmm. Um, We were talking earlier about how this album is definitely a mix of genres. Is there anything that you're looking to do in future projects or upcoming stuff that you're working on that goes in a very different direction? Or is there anything that you've never done that you've always wanted to do on an album or a record? Mm-hmm. Um, the next record, which I will probably start recording at some point in the the winter, maybe, Um what I would, well, what I'd like to do, a thing I'd like to do that I never have really, really done. I bought myself a couple little synths, a couple little Korg synths nice. and played around with them. I have never really spent the time to sit there and really write stuff on them. They, I have two of them. They have little bits recorded on there. Um, I did one show. I don't know if you were at the show. Which one was it? Uh, one show where I, I did the cover song I did was... Oh yes. I had I had yeah, the yeah. two Korgs linked together playing and I was like, Yeah, this <laughs> is my synthesizer moment. And then I never went beyond that. But I would like to actually sit and spend some time and write a whole bunch of stuff electronically. It would be oh, cool. totally interesting and different. Yeah. Um but I need to have the time and the, the headspace to do that. That could be the next artist residency is where I learn how to write electronic music. That would it's be, a whole different be cool. mental process. Well, because I also find that with a lot of electronic music I hear, I've never heard it come from like a folk or punk sensibility. Mm-hmm. A lot of it tends to be more heavy rock or heavy metal, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'd be interested to hear kind of like a folky electronica. There's some pop stuff that I've heard that dabbles with that. Mm-hmm. But, but that I think would be really cool. And so you're, you're, so you already have been working on stuff for your next record. Then. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have the full writing wise, the full record complete? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I do not. Um, I've been so concentrated on this record, mm-hmm. and getting it out and doing the PR and plus working because um, I have a regular, I have a job and then I have freelance work. It's so yeah. I've just been like very, very focused on this album and I want to, you know, now start to break away from it, um, even though I'm going to, we're going to push it more and I'm going to tour more behind it. It's still very present. Um at some point soon, I'm gonna have to start moving towards you know, what the next project what the next is. project is. Um, 
And actually, the second single on the album is going to be Sugar, and Chris and I are going to cool. do a video for that in a few weeks. So oh, we very just cool. met yesterday and mapped out our idea for the, the next one, which is going to be totally different than the last video. Excellent. And um, Well, you'll have to, because this episode, as we are recording, will be out two weeks from today. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, as you get more information, please share it with me on the I video will. and stuff, because I, I love to share that around. Mm-hmm. Um, do you already have stuff storyboarded for that? Or? Yes. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah, Very cool. It's already. I just have to. It's going to involve props, which I need to make. That's my project <laughs> for the Christmas holiday, is to make props. Um, so that's all I'm going to say. Okay, Making sure. Props. Yeah, we won't we won't spoil anything. We'll let it still stay a surprise. Uh, um, but that's good that you're excited about that too. Uh, I I think what I loved about your music video is it reminded me of some really like some of the more kind of um, bizarre '90s stuff or kind of surreal '90s stuff uh-huh. that uh, you know, which was what I always felt was like the the biggest time for music videos. Like I grew up watching MTV and like uh-huh. a lot of like some of my favorite alternative of bands that have since gone pop like Eve Six and Third Eye Blind like all of those bands I knew because of their music videos everyone saw the video for Semi Charm Life and we're like what is this who are these guys right. like and I feel like now in the inner generation like if it's shareable shareable finger quotes whatever that means then they get noticed but otherwise they kind of just fade into the back like I can't remember the last time I watched a music video for a popular artist besides the gorillas and it's because the gorillas are an animated band and I just want to see how they've changed and right. like how they've grown um, because I love Jamie Hallett and I've always loved his animation work and so I always like to see how that grows but like for real human bands like mm-hmm. I, I just don't watch a lot of stuff but when I saw your video I remember when you first shared it I was like oh this is really cool I mean of course part of it is because I know you and I want to see what you're doing uh-huh. but also I was like she's got makeup on her face I wonder what this is about uh-huh. and like it was really fun to uh-huh. see and like I'm glad that there are people still really excited to make music videos because I feel like they've kind of disappeared mm-hmm. in the internet a little bit there's so many boring ones there's so many boring ones you know who it, t- the queen of the music video is Bjork I mean, right. you watch those the three mm-hmm. I think there's three or four for the new album yeah they're insane. They're amazing. I mean, she's an amazing, amazing artist. But yeah. those are just... I had to watch them a few times to kind of even hear the music because yeah. I was so... Focused on the visuals. Focused on the visuals. They're unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's an artist that I like ignored as a kid. I was like, this lady's crazy. What mm-hmm. is she doing? This music is unlistenable. Mm-hmm. And then like um, last year or whenever the new... Maybe not the newest album, the album before that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a music podcast where I review albums as well. And like... One of my co-hosts brought it on. I was like, oh, Bjork, okay, fine. And I listened to it. I was like, this is amazing. Because I heard it in a different way. Because, uh-huh. you know, it wasn't pop music. It's not, you know, some of her stuff could be considered pop music. But for the most part, it's very avant-garde and strange and interesting. And, right. like, coming at it from that perspective and then seeing these videos for it, I'm like, wow. Like, it's insane the kind of stuff that she gets away with, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that I say get away with, but, like, that she can kind of throw into these mixes that you might not hear anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to mm-hmm. me. And so I'm always looking for music that does that kind of stuff. Um, right. So uh, then wh- you know what the next single is. Um, or do you have more than these two singles planned from this for this record, or you're not sure yet? Um, not sure yet. I don't know where we're going to go. It depends what happens in the next few months, like if the album gets any more notice and mm-hmm. if you know if there's any uh push to do more with it i'm i'm not really sure i'm just again you now just i'm like focused along. on this next i get very focused on the next point in the project so it's like now i'm focused on doing the video for sugar that's my focus 
Um, well, because you also don't want to go too big picture because then you kind of lose everything. Right. And you kind of go crazy, too. Because sure. it's so much. And I think it's so much doing it as a solo person. It's so much because there's no one to... You know, there's no one to share the workload with, nope. so I can't turn to the band member and be like, it's your turn to do this. There's right. no one to turn to. So, <laughs> like, I just have to keep uh, generating it. And um, so it's easier for my brain to be like, okay, this is the next part of the project. I'm going to focus on that, and then I'll move to the next thing. Do you have any days when you kind of feel fed up with music? Like... Um, oh, yeah. There are some. <laughs> Not as much recently. I mean, I've been really energized about this, but there have been times in the past where I've been like, oh, I'm going to do this for another six months. I'm going to stop. Oh, I'm going to do this for another year, and I'm going to stop. And now I just I have no desire to stop at all. I want to do more great. and more and more. And the only thing that stops me is money. Your actual <laughs> physical and My, financial limitations. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, I went from doing a couple of shows a month DJing to now doing seven or eight shows a month. Mm. And, like, on the other end of it, like, I had a lot in December and November. I'm like, this is great. Also, I'm really exhausted. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> like, it's just so funny. I look at my schedule now and go, okay, I'm out that night. I'm out that night. But I'll be home that night. And it's like, you know, mixing it with the day job and everything. Of course, I love doing it. But you kind of become... Also, being married, it's like you're, you come an old fogey. It's like, can we just stay home and like watch TV and do mm-hmm. nothing, you know? But uh, but on the other hand, I I'm the same way. Like I've never been more excited now that I'm doing more private gigs and I have my own gear. Mm-hmm. It's like, but it, the same thing. Like when I slept to a private gig, I'm carrying two speakers, two speaker stands, a board, a microphone, a mic stand, mm-hmm. all the cables, and it's like there's no one to hand the gear off to. Like <laughs> yeah. you take some of this stuff. It's usually I, whoever the staff is at this private event is like, can you send three or four people down to help me carry all this stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think it's very funny living this kind of indie artist lifestyle. It's like, you know, everyone, you know, in every movie that shows the independent artist who's trying to make it, it's like, you know, glamorizes it so much. And it's uh. it's not like that at all. <laughs> not even a little bit. Yeah, when I told some people I was going to do this go on this tour of myself they're like really I was like, yeah why not <laughs> how hard could it be famous <laughs> last words could it be? i mean it wasn't the, the hardest part was carrying stuff really right. would, and yeah i mean it was tough to book things but um but you've you done do it, it and you I've can say it. you've done it yeah i've done it and i want to do more because i'm crazy so well, that's good i think everyone's got to be a little bit crazy when they're in the arts yeah um, um, before we wrap up, I want you to tell the uh, the audience where they can get your album because, especially with independent arts, we're talking about with album music before, like where they buy it. You, I want them to buy it where you will get the most mm-hmm. from it. So, what's the best source to buy your music from? The best source is to buy it from Bandcamp. That's what I figured. Um, so it's Elisa Flynn. Uh, dot bandcamp dot com okay um it's also available on every other possible you know like itunes and all amazon all those things it's out there but i get actual money if you buy it on bandcamp and if you buy it on those other sites uh i literally get pennies um towards the end of the year like you get like an aggregate thing um of payments and it's very very small it's very small (laughs) you get paid for spin you know how many times people play things and it's yeah which is that's kind of the nature of everything but yeah you know and of course ultimately 
get her music because it's amazing. And if you can't get it for Bandcamp for whatever reason, then get it. But, get it from somewhere else. But uh, but but definitely go to Bandcamp if you can and check it out. Um, I'm so happy to finally get you on the show. I've known you for so long now and I've always been a fan of your work. Oh, thank you. And when I saw that you had a new album coming out, I was like, an album? Cool. And then I went to your Bandcamp and went, oh, she has other albums. I'm an idiot. Like, and got everything. And so it's been it's been really cool to see that stuff. I'm glad that it's just getting better and growing. Um, um I guess my last question is going to be, and it's kind of cheesy, but I always like to ask, as a singer-songwriter and as an artist who's kind of paving her way, her own way, making music, what would you say is the best advice you could give to someone or, like, that one thing that helps you through roadblocks? Hmm. Um, if, if you have, like, when I have a really bad roadblock, like if I have a writing block or whatever... I will turn to, I'll turn to covers. I never used to do covers. Before I started doing the Tripeg project, I was like, ah, covers, who does those? (laughs) But I found that those were really a great, it's a great way to turn off part of your mind, like the pressure part. Like, Mm -hmm. I must create. Well, maybe you don't have to create today. Maybe you could just learn something today and that'll spark some creativity in you. Um, So I will often do that. or I'll turn to, I'm also a visual artist, so I might do some visual art instead. Um, but I try to, I, I try to, I have learned that there's ebbs and flows in creativity. It's for sure. everybody. And sometimes you are just like, there's a blank piece of paper and it, it's, nothing is happening. Yeah. So you just have to sort of take a sidestep and be like, well, I'll learn this other thing or, you know, I'll, I'll try to fiddle with these synthesizers or right. something, you know, something to be like, to divert you in another direction that might kick you back to your main focus or might take you somewhere, you know, that you didn't realize that. Awesome. You could go. Excellent. Um, uh, Elise Flynn, thank you so much for coming on. Thank Where you, can Matt. everyone find you on the internet besides Bandcamp? EliseFlynn.bandcamp.com. I also have EliseFlynn.com. So I have a regular website and and uh, you're on the facebook's for a page to be liked and on the twitters to be followed uh-huh. and on the instagrams i am all over um everyone listen please go check out her work she's a wonderful wonderful artist and if you get a chance to see her in new york or anywhere else please do um the last thing i'll ask is uh we have a saying on this podcast which is music is life and life is good can you please sign us off <laughs> should i say that uh, music is life and life is good. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. that's it. That's the saying. <laughs> okay. Music is life and life is good. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life and life is good.